0: She was a tenured queer theory professor, feminist. She'd been a gay rights activist, was in a committed relationship with another woman. She co-authored her university's domestic partnership policy, which later served those who promoted gay marriage. She hated the Bible and its teaching, and she taught thousands of college students to do the same. And because of an event in her life, she gave all of that up and she placed her full faith and trust in Jesus. And that brought a lot of upheaval to herself, to her university, to the students, the faculty, and the others that she really cared a lot about. Today on Chris Fabry Live, Rosaria Butterfield wades into the deep waters of this cultural moment. And she writes, the world is in chaos and the church is divided because we have failed to obey God and value His plan for how men and women should live. She says there are five lies that we need to deal with, and that's what we're going to do straight ahead at the Radio Backyard Fence. Welcome to the Continuing Conversation. And if there's somebody in your life who identifies, maybe it's transgender or anywhere LGBTQ+, I hope you'll listen to Rosaria's heart today. First, let me thank the team, Ryan McConaughey, doing all things technical. Trisha is our producer in the chair today. Gabby will be answering your calls. And we would not be having this conversation without the help of friends and partners who give their financial support. This month, we have an excellent thank you. If you have as a goal for 2024 to improve your prayer life, to draw closer to God through prayer, Dr. Bill Thrasher of Moody Bible Institute has written an excellent short book, That I have been going through. Today I encountered this. It's a quote from Dr. Bill Bright If all you desire is the glory of God and the well being of others, it is impossible to ask God for too much. (laughs) Isn't that good? I had to think about that a long time. That's in a chapter about overcoming a worried and troubled heart with one that glorifies God. I'd love to send you how to resurrect a dead prayer life. Call or click through today. Give a gift of any size. We'll send it to you, 866-95-FABRY, 866-953-2279. Or you can go to chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down. You'll see how you can support us right there and receive a copy of that book. Chris Fabry, F-A-B-R-Y, chrisfabrylive.org. Rosaria Butterfield, I've liked Rosaria Butterfield from the day I met her, and I didn't realize, or maybe I just forgot it, that she's a graduate of not Ohio State, but the Ohio State University. (laughs) She's an author, pastor's wife, homeschool mom, former professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse. She's written The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, Openness Unhindered, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's about hospitality. And her latest is... Creating Some Waves, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Rosaria, welcome back. How are you doing today?
1: Oh, thank you, Chris. I'm doing well in the Lord. Thank you so much for having me on your show today.
0: Is that true that you are creating some waves with this latest book? Tell me about that.
1: Well, I don't know because I tell you what, I don't keep up with myself. Uh, So I have written a book. I have published a book. I, uh the people in my world, uh, that would be my, my pastors, my elders, um, they, have, um, they have liked the book. They approved of the book. I wouldn't have published it if, if they hadn't. And my biggest hope, of, of course, that I have the approval of our Lord and Savior. So, um, but I have noticed something in evangelical culture. If you poke the thing with a needle, it, if you say something, mm-hmm. even if you're pointy about how you say things... Uh, you will definitely cause some waves. But that's not why I wrote this book. I wrote this book because I used to be a gay rights activist. I used to be uh, a lesbian. I was all in. And I caused the evil of the world. Not all of it, but a good enough of it, a, a good portion of it. I caused this. And so I needed to write a book that says mark and avoid. And also because... So many of the sins that I have committed, I committed as a Christian. So I mean, I'm not just rehashing, you know, 25 years ago. This is what I believed. No, 10 years ago, I believed things that um, that are very harmful to our winning back to Christ, our lost and prodigal children, Uh, LGBTQ. Well, like like, you want me to just kind of fess up right now, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no,
0: no, I'm interested because if you go sure. back to your Syracuse days, it's like, eh, you know, but that was before the cross, you know, and right. everything. So right. 10 years ago was afterward when you yeah. really wanted to live a committed and fully follow oh, Jesus yeah. with your life. So what was something that you believed then that you right. think has created bad things?
1: Oh, I know it has. I wish, I wish it was just a think. Um, but a number of things. One was my use of what's called transgender pronouns. That's pretending a biological male is a female or a biological female is a male by um, using pronouns that are a lie, that are a violation of the Ninth Commandment. Another was... Um, yielding the moral language to the left. So using LGBTQ plus vocabulary as though the Bible doesn't have a moral vocabulary. Um, another was um, calling reparative therapy or any change allowing therapy a heresy and um, discounting it as not only useful, but oftentimes necessary in the lives of people for whom not all of us were in this boat, but for the people for whom homosexuality was a response to childhood trauma, well, you know, counseling is extremely important there. Um, but, and, and, and then, I mean, yeah, Chris, how long do you have? Because we could spend the whole program. No, that's good. This, right? that's, that, that, I, that's a litmus right there. R- repent mm-hmm. of those sins in the beginning of Five Lies. And I do that because there's no other way. If you've sinned, And you're an author, and you've sold lots of copies of books that contain these sins. There's no way to tell people to mark and avoid other than saying, I was wrong. And it does not bring glory to God to sin, even if you think you're doing a good thing. I'm not more merciful than God. God's ways are the right ways, even if they're difficult. And um, so there you have it.
0: You said when I first introduced you, I was a lesbian. And Mm -hmm. there are some people who are listening right now whose antenna went up as well, you know, once you're, once you are, um, what do you mean? I was a lesbian.
1: Right, right. Well, I do mean that um, for 10 years of my life, I lived in serially monogamous lesbian relationships. During that time I was sexually active with women exclusively and I um, advocated for LGBTQ plus rights. And I believed that being a lesbian was who I was, not just how I felt. And while I had had um, prior to uh, meeting my first lesbian lover, I had had boyfriends, and some of those relationships had become, you know, romantic and even sexual. I found um, myself almost every time I was in a relationship with a man falling in love with a woman. So when I finally came out as a lesbian, all my friends said, well, what took you so long? We could have told you that 10 years ago. And in my, you know, just in my flesh, I felt like I had arrived at the real sense of who I am. And had I not met the Lord Jesus Christ, um, well, two things, you and I wouldn't be talking to each other. Uh, but um, I don't think I would have ever felt any, um, any moral antagonism to my, my fairly ontological statement, I am a lesbian. But um, one of the things that the Bible makes clear, and I came to Christ, you know, a, a, a quarter century ago. So this is before the church had really lost its way on some key theological issues. But when I came to Christ, um, I knew I was taught and I believed that homosexuality is found in the flesh, forbidden in the law and overcome in the savior. I was not taught that uh, quote unquote, gay people were a, a minority category that needed civil rights protections. I was not taught that quote unquote gay people were the the modern example of Gentiles coming into the kingdom, nor was I taught that sexual orientation was a true category of what it meant to be human. So my church wasn't confused. And, And I think that's really the issue. It's hard enough to be a Christian when the world gives you just false statements, but you know, we're Christians. We just, we don't really expect the world to be the place where we find our, our worldview and our theology. But the fact that the church today can't major on the majors anymore because it is divided about what it, what homosexuality means, what its origin is, what its ethics is, and also what conversion looks like mm-hmm. to somebody who, like me, has a history of lesbianism—the fact that it's that it's confused—is is causing great uh, distress in Christian families. Um, okay, Christ yeah, what, is not divided.
0: What you what have just. Are. Describe then. Uh, there's there's somebody listening today who's hmm. leaning a little closer to the radio because they mm-hmm. have a son, a daughter, maybe a spouse, or somebody mm-hmm. in their family in their church, and they're on that LGBTQ plus spectrum, and they're wondering mm-hmm. how do I how, how do I have a, a relationship with this person. What is it that I say? How do I please Jesus and love my friend, my family member? And that's what I want to major on today. But I want to tell you the book by Rosaria Butterfield, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian is Our featured resource, it's at chrisfabrylive.org. Click through today's information. You'll see it right there at chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield is with us today. That's right, PhD doctor. She's written Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, and it's her featured resource. Just look at org. I'm going to give you a chance to talk with Rosaria, but I want to get into the lies. But I have to start with where I think the, the bedrock is. You talk about ontology versus phenomenology. Oh, I got mm-hmm. it right. I felt it. I felt it just flowing. <laughs> Phenomenology. What is the difference yep. between those two things?
1: Yep, yep. And those are, those are fancy, you know, $10 philosophical terms. But ontology has to do with being, with who you are, and specifically with who God made you to be. And you would look to Genesis 127. God made you in his image as a man or as a woman. Phenomenology is how you feel. It has to do with the deeds of the flesh. um, And it has to do with what the imputation of Adam's fall has to do with your sin nature. It connects in many ways to what Paul says in Romans 7 Why do I do what I don't want to do? It is not I, but sin in me. And so one is who you are. And the other is how you feel,
0: and that is the new religion. How you feel? Yes, how right? you
1: feel is the new religion, and and it's it's. Um, I think it makes some of our. Um, I'm sixty one, so I, I get to be one of your older listeners. But it makes people in my generation, the the mothers and the grandmothers of Israel right now, who are looking out at it, this world, and just it, it is it is just a confusing thing because we know. That the only way we would have gotten on in life is to take our feelings and give them a good swift spanking every now and then. (laughs) I I, know, I really, right? I really mean it. And I do say this to young women. I often say, get a grip. But that is considered a traumatizing statement, which is absurd. Your feelings are to be under the lordship of Christ. You are not to be. Uh, you know, submitting yourself to your feelings. The fact that you have a feeling doesn't mean it's good. But I think our young people need to understand that. And our old people like myself, we need to find a way of staying connected without becoming indoctrinated. And I believe that we can do that. I understand the world doesn't like to promote this, but um, we have all had friendships with people who disagree with us. Disagreement is not a hate crime. So I think we just need to all get a grip, if you will. Yes.
0: The five lies, I'm just going to say the five lies, and mm-hmm. and then we're going, to, we're going to go through them, because we could mm-hmm. we could try to get through all five of these and, and parse them, and then we'd never have any time to, to hear from listeners or for mm-hmm. me to ask my cogent questions, which are really cogent. <laughs> right. Uh, but the lies go, number one, homosexuality is normal. Number two, being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. Number three, feminism is good for the world and the church. Four, transgenderism is normal. And five, modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. I want to start with that last one, because that one kind of took me off guard. I didn't—because the others seem so huge, and then you get to modesty— why is that such an important thing that you included?
1: Well, because I'm talking in that chapter not only about modesty in dress but also modesty in 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 um in discourse in conversation and our social media infused world has introduced new traditions that are particularly harmful for growing in maturity and growing in grace and um And so I, I, it's the, I, I, I raise it last and it is the last one that I talk about because it also combines so many, so many threads from all the other lies, the most dominant thread that goes through all of the lies that the fifth one deals is with this idea that there is some essential difference between sex and gender. When indeed that is a, uh, that is a very modern idea, um, sex and gender were synonyms until uh, you know, somewhere in the 20th century. But um, this idea that women do not owe men um, the respect of modesty, or that you know, the flip side, men do not owe women the respect of protecting our reputations, somehow works from this idea that male and female are not stable categories. They're interchangeable, and that's absurd.
0: Which takes us also then to the differences between the sexes, which is a, you know, a huge. You mentioned Genesis one, yes. that there really is no difference. I and mean, you could see this in uh, on Capitol Hill with you mm-hmm. know, is there a difference between a male and a female physically? You know, the question is asked, and somebody who has a lot of degrees before their name will say, "Well, really, it's you know, it's however you feel." Just like you said it's a little absurd. earlier, mm-hmm. and and it doesn't fit with what I observe, number one, or what science and biology seems to Mm -hmm. say. Right, absolutely. So how do you deal with that dissonance? Uh, Talk talk about that.
1: Right. Well, I deal with that dissonance about once a month because I speak at my local school board defending uh, parental rights against a um, Biden administration, Title IX, infused school board that wants to not obey the laws of the land on this issue of transing children in the public schools in my my zip code. So once a month, I go and do my three-minute talk. And then I invite people over for dinner. And I have um, important, I think, important conversations with people, including people who have uh, done things like castrated their 14-year-old son in the name of this new world order. Um, so it's very serious. And I, and I, and I raise this because the stakes are very, very high. And I can't think of a group of people who more need the gospel right now than people who have either gone through a medical quote unquote transition, um, or the parents of the people who have supported them in doing it. Um, Cat, the categories of male and female are stable. Not only are they stable, but they are ontological. You will be the man you are meant to be or the woman you were meant to be here on earth and then in eternity, whether that eternity takes you to hell or to the new Jerusalem. And so that is really, uh, that is part of the very good news of the gospel is that God cannot be mocked. And, um, and to, the, to the person who has gone through a medical quote unquote transition, um, the minute that you repent, the minute that you um, assent that God was right all along, uh, that is the moment that you are washed clean and you have hope that you will live for eternity in a glorified body. And I think it might be helpful just to introduce here that there are two ways that we are talking about transgenderism. One is gender dysphoria, which has a medical diagnosis. It's a lot like anorexia, that's its medical analog. It's a person who has a dysphoric relationship with his or her body, a sense of hatred and unbelief about it. But in the same way that we would never say to a girl who is emaciated, we would not quote unquote affirm her identity, nor would we say that you just needed a sticker and a parade and a gay rights movement Um, It makes no sense that we take uh, a dysphoric person about their own, uh, their own physicality, their own sexed body and say, and and minimize it. You know, that's what barbarians would do. But the other way we talk about transgenderism is the social contagion way. And that's the, the more common problem that we're seeing. That's the ideology And we see that in no small part because the Obergefell decision in 2015 introduced something called a dignitary harm clause, which has now rooted itself in anti-bullying programs in every government school. It basically says that you're a bully if you do not affirm someone's right to reinvent themselves according to whatever gender they want. And that's where you see that sex-gender distinction is so dangerous where the Bible would say, no, no, those are synonyms. They're not separated. And feminism would say, well, they have to be separated because we need to get, liberate, quote unquote, liberate women from their bodies, their creational potential. The transgender movement would say, there is no sex. It's all gender. And it's all up for grabs. I can change my mind at will, but the rest of you need to obey my pronouns. And I just don't think most Bible-believing Christians were ready to have to defend the gospel at such a basic level. I think we were all kind of geared up for more of a theological discussion, but here we are back in just Genesis 1, just defending the gospel at the basic level of nature.
0: When you speak at the school board then, Mm -hmm. um, my sense of you and how you communicate is you're not there to win an argument— as much as you are to try to convince logically of the, of the people who are listening to you of your position um, and doing it with compassion. You know, Peter right. talks about with well, the gospel right. with gentleness and respect, right. you don't go there to bash people or to try to tell transgender uh, parents of transgender kids that they're crazy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, what do you say? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, there are plenty of YouTube videos of me out there doing this, but I, I would say you, you have three minutes, and I usually are. I'm usually just taking up one issue. That usually I'm, I'm just responding to something. The school board has asked for public feedback on you know a particular issue, and so I provide a three minute, very, you know, very professorial, if you will, lecture on. And like one time it was on the question of the school board was saying, if we don't quote unquote socially transition our children without their parents' consent, uh, they're going to kill themselves. And so I simply brought in the APA statistics that said, well, actually, if you would simply not socially transition these children and allow them to go through normal puberty. In 85% of the time, puberty solves the problem. So dear school board, which is it? Is puberty the problem that requires you to bypass a parental rights law, or is it the solution that would allow children with psychological anxiety to be healed? So I'm, I'm kind of a one note wonder at these things. <laughs> and there's no way to come in loaded for bear because I take the microphone, people are booing, they're hissing, they're calling me names. Um, my 21 year old son comes with me as my bodyguard, and he pointed out something really helpful at the last time, the last meeting. He said, Mom, I noticed two things. All of the people who have gone through medical transitions are walking with canes and walkers now. Is that that brittle bone issue that they have? And the second, Mom, I can't help but to say this, this is the world that Jesus entered to save.
0: Bingo. Yeah, and that's where the compassion comes in. And there's a, a section after you go through the five lies where you talk about how do you comport? How do you live? Mm -hmm. How do you love well someone? Is it acceptance? The difference between acceptance and affirmation. I want to get to that after the break, but I want to take a pause right here. Let me give you the phone number, 877-548-3675. This is not a theoretical discussion. I mean, it can be. This can be kind of a, a philosophical discussion too, but what I like to do on this program is, okay, so here are the lies. Here's where we are in the world. What's your experience? Are you dealing with a son or a daughter or a friend or a family member who has a son or a daughter or a cousin? or And you want to love them well, but you just don't know. How can you please, how can you love Jesus, follow Him, and... Uh, accept or affirm what do I do if there's a wedding you know we've had this question for several years now, so here's the number eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five. Rosaria Butterfield is our guest. She has written the book, Five Lies of Our Christian Age. You can find out more about it right there at the website, chrisfabrylive.org. And I really want to get your feedback in our next segment, 877-548-3675. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield is our guest today, author of Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. And for those who are saying, look, you didn't tell me what the lies are, I'll say it again. Homosexuality is normal. Being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. Feminism is good for the world and the church. Transgenderism is normal. And modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. Now you know the five lies, but there's an awful lot more to the book, and that's what we're talking about today at the back fence. I want to know, Rosario, when you were uh, teaching at at Syracuse and you were heavy feminist and uh, queer ideology and all that, what did you think about abortion?
1: Oh, yeah. I thought abortion was a, a, a sacrament of the modern age. And and I was also raised in a feminist household. So my parents were big supporters of Planned Parenthood. It was always talked about as a, you know, as, as that which, you know, separated the first world from the third world, if you will. Yeah. Um, it was simply um, like flush toilets and running water, you know, necessary, Healthcare. For um, yeah. you know, for the world.
0: <laughs> what about pro-lifers? What did you think about people who were pro-life?
1: I, you know, I, I, in general, I just thought that they didn't understand the complexity of the world around them, which is also what I would have said about Christians. Uh, you know, if you told me that the gospel was the good news, and people certainly did over 25 years ago, I would say, "Good news for whom?" You know, I mean, it just it it seemed to me like. That you had to already be in what would be considered a "quote unquote" privileged position to see the good news of the gospel, and likewise, I would have said you had to be someone for whom a crisis pregnancy hadn't entered your world to say that somehow abortion should be illegal. So I was a, a, a st- strong, staunch advocate of abortion, and it uh, and uh, and, it, and it is really interesting uh, because most uh, most LGBTQ plus um, uh, political movements are highly connected to the abortion rights movement, when of course, the kind of sex that you have in the LGBT world is barren. So it, it you can see really how ideologically driven these allegiances are. But yes, I, I was a true believer before I was a true believer.
0: <laughs> I ask you that because I've been talking about care And I believe Mm -hmm. that not enough people know about them. They have so many ministries to women and men in that experience. An unexpected pregnancy comes up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But they also minister to those with deep regret and guilt over the past um, because the, the, the knock against pro-life ministries has been, you care about the baby until it's born, and then you don't care at all. So that's, that's not true. true, and it's not true certainly about caring. The ARC ministry, for example, abortion recovery and care, connects women and men impacted by abortion with individual ministries, with pregnancy centers, with churches that provide healing resources, Many are aware of the physical ab- effects of an abortion and what it can cause. Few are told about the lingering emotional effects. So if you go to CARENET today, and I hope you will, click uh, CARENET at chrisfabrylive.org, click abortion recovery and care, the tab at the top, because I believe that someone you know, or maybe you yourself, needs the life and the hope offered by a ministry like CARENET. Again, go to chrisfabrylive.org. Click the green CareNet button right there today. With Rosaria Butterfield, oh, let's go to the phones. Timothy in Chicago. Timothy, go right ahead.
2: Hey, you know, I'm at a church, and it's a Mennonite church. And um, I became a member many years ago. Um, I'm an elder there now. And we are having this conversation about, you know, sexuality. And there are three different groups of people at this church, African, uh, Anglo, and um, uh, Nepali. And when we first came to this church, it was no talk about inclusion and including gay transition and everything into the church. And we keep having these conversations, but no one will really go to the Bible or have any conversation about what does God say? about a man and a man being together, a woman and a woman. Mm-hmm. When we have these conversations, it gets kind of uh, redundant, and everybody walks away from the table feeling like, well, I, I, it, it, there's just no a real answer here, because, the, you know, it talks about this, but it doesn't really say that, and it doesn't say that if it's a lovely marriage. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find some resources that will help me clearly say in less than a minute or so, Why this is wrong and why we Hmm. can't allow that to
1: oppose I, I don't know if we can do
0: it less than a minute, Timothy. <laughs> but I Rosario is Rosario's going to try. Rosario, go ahead. I'm
1: going to try, Timothy. That's a great question. First is, we have allowed a unbiblical understanding to enter the church, and that is the understanding that there is such a thing as a gay person. There is no such thing as a gay person. Gay is not a matter of personhood. It's a matter of the flesh. And so, so th- that's the first thing that we've said. Well, but look, but there's this gay Christian, there's this trans Christian. The other is we've we've falsified what image bearing of a holy God means. We are uh, image bearing is Genesis one twenty seven. We are made in God's image, as a male or as a female, and we grow to be more like God. We know this by reflecting that image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. So people who say things like, "Well, I'm trans and I'm made in the image of God," I'm I'm a homosexual and I'm made in the image of God. That's just not true. Um, The world, the flesh, and the devil are where gay and trans come from, not image bearing. And so Timothy, what I would say is that we've got to start at the basic place. And that is the place of personhood. And we need to be willing to reject the general idea that sexual orientation is a true category of personhood. Sexual orientation is a 19th century category invention. It came from Freud and homosexuality is found in the flesh, forbidden in the law and overcome in the gospel. So a successful ministry to the LGBTQ plus movement means there is no LGBTQ plus movement. And hopefully um, the book Five lies Over Anti-Christian Age, the, actually the first section of it about the, quite, about the normalization of homosexuality, hopefully would give you some, some help and tools.
0: Timothy, I'm glad you called, and I'm glad you're there in that church because you've uh, articulated the struggle that a lot of people Mm -hmm. feel. And the struggle, as I listen to your answer, Rosaria, is, but I don't want to—if somebody is gay or lesbian and comes to my church— I don't want to tell them, Now you can't come in here. You, you, you no, can't sure. listen to this. But that's what the not, well, you're saying nobody should come in here who's gay and because, because they don't have the image of God. And you're not saying no, that not the all. person doesn't have the image of God. No. It's the label, right?
1: Well, and, and, and I think that, yes, absolutely. So every human being is made in the image of God. It's marred because of our sin, but if we claim that our sin is a grace, then what we are saying is that our image-bearing is found in sin, and that's not true. Our image-bearing is never found in sin. It's always found in Christ and in the way that God made us creationally.
0: Which takes us to Alicia in Idaho. Hi, Alicia. Go right ahead.
1: Hi.
3: Thank you so much for taking my call. I... Um... I have an interesting situation in my family. I have a sister who has, um, been a part of this lifestyle for over 10 years now. And, um, their story is pretty interesting actually, because her and her, her ex-spouse, they're not together anymore, but they actually were Moody graduates. Um, they Mm. met at Moody and were friends there. Um, and ended up coming out while they were still um, at school there. And um, it's a pretty interesting story, but I think the question that I have for you today is um, just any wisdom that you have Mm -hmm. in loving people for who they are um, Mm -hmm. without the motive of trying to change them. um, It's hard because I feel like, she has known the truth at points in her life, um, and so my job is to not preach at her, but it's been really hard to hold boundaries. Um, my husband and I, are we're pretty young. We're in our 30s, and we mm-hmm. have been, like a lot of culture, just learning as we go, and we have young kids who we're trying to um, protect mm-hmm. and hold boundaries yep. for, but not yep. lie to, Um Yep. And it's really tricky. It's just a very tricky balance of um, not affirming, but wanting relationship <laughs> and then realizing yep. that the relationship can only go to a certain depth. And um, yeah. So you
0: know what I love about yeah. your call, I Alicia? Had. I love about your call, your voice, because <laughs> I and mm-hmm. Rosaria, you can hear it. I can tell you can I hear can it hear. too. Oh yeah. Absolutely. The emotion, Alicia. the love, yep. the care. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's do th- let me do this. Yeah. I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to leave us in this tension of this question right here, because I think this is exactly where a number of people who are listening today are. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back, and I want uh, uh, Rosaria to respond to this. The book, our featured resource today, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Find out more at the website, chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead. Rosaria Butterfield writes in Five Lies of Our Anti Christian Age For those women who have loved ones lost for now and held in the grips of our nation's reigning idol, a formidable monolith represented by the letters LGBTQ and the symbol plus, this book intends to arm you with God's words of courage, comfort, and boldness so that you may pray without ceasing. Again, Five Lies of Our Anti Christian Age. So speak into Alicia's situation, Uh, I'm sorry.
1: And and Chris, I agree with you. Alicia, uh, your voice told me so much about your love for your sister, and that is so important. First, I commend you, dear sister, to be deep in the Word, especially Psalm 69. I think that is a wonderful place for you to be just sort of hovering as you're praying for your sister. The other is to not see your sister's history with Moody as some kind of a hypocrisy, but rather as in God's providence, his love for her. Uh, among other things, that might mean that she would have had someone like Christopher Yuan as her professor. So, and, and certainly it would mean that the word of God is, is, is in her, um, every fiber of her being. And so we are praying, and I will pray for her as well, that the word of truth would, would rise up in her heart and in her soul. And it would give her the courage to repent of her sin. One of the challenges that your sister has that I did not have because of our age difference is when Pastor Ken Smith met me and started sharing the gospel with me. The first thing he said to me is, Rosaria, I can accept you as a lesbian. I just don't approve. But this particular gay rights movement, including the one that your sister is now very deeply ensconced in, believes that if you don't approve of her, you don't love her. And which is, of course, ridiculous. You say that you have small children. You don't approve of everything they do. But, of course, you love them. And so what I would say is stay connected to your sister. And the things that you can um, value and encourage and celebrate her do. Uh, That God has given her much common grace is a great thing. But you can still go to hell with common grace, so it's not enough. And you say that you don't want to change her. And, you know, I'm a reformed Presbyterian, so I would say you can't change her. God can, but you certainly can't. So that should give you some freedom to love her, love her well. Now, if she asks you to do things that violate your conscience, you know, my hope is that you would have a strong enough relationship that you two can mutually disappoint each other without it becoming, uh, you know, a world war situation. So hang in there pray, get everyone you know to pray for her. One of the things I would pray for her is that all unholy relationships would be destroyed and that she would return to you and your parents and even the church of her youth. But no one is beyond the the, the reach of the Lord. And it is very, very hard to be... um, It is hard when your flesh demands things. You serve the flesh, and of course you enjoy it. But as someone who has heard the word of God preached and proclaimed, we'll just pray that there will be that tension that will rise up inside her. One of the things that I would want your sister to know is that you can hate your sin without hating yourself. And that is part of what all Christians have to do. And the other is that the word of God actually knows you better than you know yourself. And, um, and so it's with those and most powerfully Psalm 69 that I will, I will leave you. Um, and my other recommendation is that you get everybody to pray for her because there are times when you probably will feel discouraged, but others like myself won't feel so discouraged. So press on dear sister.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alicia. of. Uh, let me ask you this question from one of our callers or or something like, let's say there's a person in your church, say there's a man in your church and he's dealing with gender dysphoria and dresses as a woman and is going through the transition and doesn't just come to Bible study and sit in the back, but actually serves in some capacity, you know, greets at the door or does something where, you know, it's a kind of an upfront thing. What would you say... What do you you say to that person or to the leadership of the church?
1: Yeah, I I think we say to the leadership of the church, please, come on, guys, show some compassion here. Don't don't put this person out in front like this. Um, If if it actually is a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, there are comorbidities or, um, you know, multiple mental health issues that are at work here. Uh, I understand the world and its barbarism wants to celebrate this, but but you know that problems actually need to be solved, not affirmed. So please, no, no, let's, the show must stop. You must help this person deal rightly with the problems. And that would involve things like um, um, getting the counseling that you need, getting unplugged from the internet and from, uh, you know, social groups that are preaching and proclaiming lies and, um, but you know, let's, we live in a world that is, um, has pretty much abandoned privacy for exhibitionism. And that does not help people like a person going through a gender dysphoric season. Um, this is a problem that can be solved and should be solved, but we don't have to put that person on the front line and expose him or her to more, um, scrutiny.
0: (laughs) And let's say the person wants to be there, wants to be well, up front, and sure. you know, and, um, and you're, you're. I'll go to some other church then, because you are haters.
1: Then go. <laughs> then here, let me help you. Then go, because you know what you have. You have a thirteen-year-old in the church who's watching you make this decision and trying to understand his own predicament, his own gender anxiety. So um, this becomes, in some ways, a church discipline issue. Now I think we sometimes we think of church discipline as excommunication or a kind of formality. But before church discipline becomes a formality, it is the simple act of setting boundaries. And uh, the most simple boundary that the church can um, can uh, you know extol is that the image of God is in and located in our souls and in what it means to be a man or a woman and that we will be a man or a woman on earth and we will be a man or a woman in heaven and in the new Jerusalem. So we're not going to lie to this man. Um, He's a man. And if that causes duress, we're going to deal privately and compassionately with that duress.
0: I want you to give a word of hope here at the end. We just have a couple of minutes mm-hmm. left um, because it was it was that pastor who reached out to you, who yeah. you had a lot of meals together with him and his <laughs> wife, does. and you know, and you and you, read, you said in the book, I read the book uh, Bible seven times during this time. It was a real okay. long process for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But there was this love that was coming, not uh, an acceptance, not affirmation, yeah. but acceptance. Mm-hmm. Isn't that mm-hmm. kind of the, the key that you're talking about?
1: Yes. And I would also see, say the key is patience and perseverance in prayer, that our confidence is not in our lesbian sister or our, um, our, our friend who has gender anxiety and wants to perform it rather than solve it. Our hope is in the risen and resurrected Lord. And because of the risen and resurrected Lord, we can do two things. One, we know that a person who is truly justified by God has had the power of that resurrected Christ imputed into him or her. And so with that is the power to fight your sin. But we also know that we have the community of the church. And when we are like-minded in a good way, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we can help people who are struggling and struggling deeply because we can go up alongside them, we can pick them up, we can be not afraid to touch them, we can be not afraid to be close to them. And we can remind them that this, this progressive sanctification, this fight against the flesh, that we do it because the tomb is empty and Jesus will honor all of the suffering and the repentance that we do in his name so Aren't we can laugh. have hope.
0: Aren't you glad for that empty tomb? Oh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield's been with us. You can find out more about Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age at chrisfabrylive.org. Our program's a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.